Today we are going to take a look at maybe the two biggest breakout candidates for the Detroit Tigers in 2023 and their future with the Detroit Tigers all today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2023. Thank you so much for making Locked On Tigers your first listen. Every single day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. First off, take a, a sip of ginger ale every time I said Tigers in the intro there. Second off... Friday the 13th in October. I hope everyone has a fantastic, fun, and spooky-filled Friday. Um, So today we're going to talk about Tyler Holden and Reese Olsen. Like I said, I think there's a very legitimate candidate. These are the two biggest, I don't know, is breakout the right word? I don't want to say surprise because I almost feel like surprise has like a negative connotation. We're like, wow, we're shocked you're good. Like, I don't want it to sound like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is a waiver claim, and a guy who had a 9 ERA in AAA when he got called up. And they were two of the better pitchers in this on this major league team and really in this organization in 2023. The fascinating thing with Tyler Holden is uh, like he was, again, like literally a waiver claim from the Diamondbacks, and they were making room for after signing Andrew Chafin. Right, like we lose out on Chafin, he doesn't come back. He goes to Arizona. They have to clear some roster space. Tyler Holden's a Detroit Tiger. Boom, and now here we are. And so I, I want to start this episode off by just—I know I give them credit all the time, but it's worth reiterating every single time. Um, Chris Fetter, Robin Lund, and Juan Nieves just deserve so, so, so much credit for the pitching development that is happening at the major league level in this organization. Like I said, waiver claim guy with a nine ERA in triple a, you can go back to the, the episode. I've said this before, but you can go back to the episode where Reese Olsen got called up right on this show. And I was like, yeah, like I'm super pumped. You guys are going to love his stuff. He's got a nasty slider. I'm really optimistic, but like, I wouldn't expect him to set the world on fire, right? Like, I was really hesitant. I was like, this dude has a 9 ERA, and his fastball just, like, straight up doesn't play in AAA. Not really filled with optimism about what how that's going to translate to the major league level. And, and, man, the last six months, six months, the last six weeks of the season, Reese Olsen was pretty unhittable. And Tyler Holton, uh, throughout the entire season, was legitimately one of the better relievers in the entire American League. Uh, it's it, it's absolutely remarkable, and it starts with those three guys. Obviously, we'll talk about the players, and they deserve the most credit because they're the ones going out there on the mound and executing. But uh, the, the, what – you know, we talk all the time about, like, the Dodgers pitching lab, right, and, like, people on the internet, oh, like, the Brewers pitching lab and the Rays pitching lab, and, oh, they can fix anybody and get production out of anybody. Like, I think we are legitimately knocking on the door of, like, joining that conversation. That's how highly I think – of those three gentlemen. Like I I think you have we're going to talk about two instances today, right? Two guys today that no one expected to do what they did. 
uh, no matter how big of a fan of each of them you were when the moves were made, when the call up or the waiver claim was made, like no one expected this to happen for either of them. Uh, and on top of that, like th that's only two instances in like now already just in a couple of years, like multiple cases, right? Like Michael Lorenzen, we talked about, like was a huge success story. That's a massive win for those three guys. Like, I, I, I think we're really knocking on the door here and, and, that's super encouraging because not only does that help like the free agent side of things, right? Where you can look at a free agent pitcher and be like, hey, look at all these instances in which pitchers have gotten better when playing for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, but B, just like throughout the course of the season, I think it really raises the floor of your organization, right? Like when you talk about, oh, what's the peak and, and what's kind of the valley for what the Tigers can accomplish in any given year? Like if you have, an organization that can turn like any, like Miguel Diaz was great. Like if you have any, an organization where, Oh, if you know, three or even four starters get hurt or, you know, relievers get hurt, whatever we can reach into the well in triple a and know that our coaching staff is going to get the best out of these guys. It, it, that that's such a weapon. That's such a weapon. I think it raises the floor of what this, uh, what this team can accomplish on a year to year basis. So just want to start off the episode in which we talk about two major pitching success stories for the Tigers by giving credit where credit is due for the millionth time and certainly won't be the last to Fetter Lund and Nieves. So let's talk about Tyler Holton. Tyler Holton, obviously not only one of the bigger storylines of the Tigers organization, but one of the bigger storylines in, in, I would argue in the American league or even in all of baseball as, as far as, a success story goes. He would end with 85 and a third innings pitched all out of the pen. He was an opener a couple of times, but like he was a reliever, a 211 ERA, a 7.8 K per nine, a 1.9 walk per nine and a home run per nine of under one. Um, so I think it's important to start the conversation with Holton with just talking about this dude is a pitcher like that. And, and I, <laughs> I guess that's kind of a, a fairly obvious statement. He is, in fact, a pitcher, um, objectively. But he he's not a thrower, right? He really, his sequencing, I, I think, is so incredible. I That's the joy that I get out of watching Tyler Holton is is remarkable, right? Like, he, I think that he's so smart. I think the coaching staff knows how to utilize his pitches super well. I think the catchers in this organization have really, really utilized all of his stuff very well. It's a team effort for sure, but his stuff all plays so well together. Like he's a one inning, well, he's not a one inning reliever. He went multiple innings a lot, but he's a middle reliever that has at least five different pitches. If you count like the curveball that he throws once in a blue moon, like six different pitches. And he mixes them all in so much. And like having that out of the pen, like we're in this era where relievers are a lot, not that they're just throwers, but like to be an effective reliever, a lot of people think you have to throw over 95 miles an hour these days, right? Like it's really hard to be a middle reliever or even especially a back end reliever and not throw gas. And like, there are certainly people that do both, right? Like Duran is certainly a pitcher and throws 103. But like Holton, his his fastball velo is in the 14th percentile in all of baseball. Like his four-seam fastball averages 91 miles an hour, and yet he had a 211 ERA in over 80 innings out of the pen. He has a fastball that he throws 28% of the time, a changeup for 22%, a cutter for 19%, a slider 14%, and a sinker 12%. I 
and then that curveball that he threw 43 times all year for about 3%. Like, it, it, having so many weapons and so many ways to get you out, out of the bullpen, and, and not having to rely on velocity, A, is super impressive, but B, as long as the stuff stays where it's at and doesn't decline any further, that's a sustainable model. Like, so many people throw gas and then when they lose a couple of miles an hour off of their fastball velocity or, or lose a couple of inches of break or spin off of their stuff, they deteriorate. And like, if you're already doing this well without overpowering stuff or velocity, that bodes very, very well for sustainability. So I, I can't say enough good things about Tyler Holton, except I will continue to do so right after I tell y'all about our friends over at Sleeper. The MLB playoffs are here, which means that this is your chance to 100 times your cash on daily fantasy baseball. Baseball has never been more exciting. How about the snakes? How about the snakes? There was a ball to lie moment in that game. Unbelievably fun baseball being played. Bryce Harper staring down Arcia as he rounds second base. The playoffs are an absolute electric factory. And including in that, you can... Again, 100 times your cash on Daily Fantasy Baseball. Pick more or less on stats for stars like home runs, hits, strikeouts, and more for up to 100 times payout on Sleeper. Get your picks right, and you could win big. Use promo code LOCKDOWN, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions, terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Segment two of Locked on Tigers. I appreciate y'all for tuning in, making us your first listen every single day. Shout out to the everydayers that do tune in every day. We'll be back on Monday, recapping a few more players, assuming no news comes out over the weekend. Um, so talking about Tyler Holton here, we talked about the pitch mix. We talked about what makes him so effective and why I'm just so unbelievably impressed with what he has been able to do so far as a Detroit Tiger, I think the fascinating thing is there's a few more things that are really fascinating about him, I guess. But one is he doesn't walk anybody, which is something that this organization has been preaching since the second that Scott Harris took over. And I would imagine will continue to do so, right? So uh, 88th percentile in walk rate, only a 5.6% walk rate at that. Phenomenal hard hit rate, 88th percentile. Average exit velocity, 93rd percentile, right? So he's not walking people. He's pounding the strike zone and he's not giving up hard contact. That's unbelievably, A, difficult to do, but B, just exactly what this team wants out of like everyone. And the K rate is pretty middle of the road, 22.8%. That's like right around league average. The whiff rate 26.1% is almost exactly league average. Like that that was the thing I was preaching all year when he would keep doing this. I'm like, he doesn't have overpowering analytics. Like he doesn't have some like, oh, like this is, he, he's getting 90, he's in the 90th percentile in whiff rate or he's striking everybody out. Like, no, this is just a dude that tops out at 91 miles an hour, but has five different pitches that are all like plus pitches. And he just, slices and dices his way through the lineup and and he's a he gets a lot of soft contact he gets a lot of pop outs and I love watching him pitch like maybe more than anybody on the team right now like Scooble I guess maybe Olsen's probably already up there as well but 
it's just, it's so fascinating. And then all of his pitches, except for the cutter, right? So of his six pitches we laid out, only one had an opponent batting average over 200. <laughs> He's remarkable. And like the one thing, the, the that's really like all there is to is 2023. It's, it's all sequencing. He loves to go fastball up and away. And then he really likes going... I guess it would be arm side low and in is something that he does. And and that's like the only, I don't know, like relative, not like hiccup, but uh, the next step in development is he likes to throw off speed low and away and getting that consistent change up low and in, I think is something that could make him again, like even take another step forward. So uh, ending the season with a two eleven ERA, I think the, the, a big conversation surrounding Holton is what he can do next year and if this type of season is repeatable uh, my short answer is like to this extreme probably not like again like this is you have to remember this is a guy who had a one nine era for like 80 percent of the season <laughs> right like during the heart of the year he had a sub two era for like months uh and then a little bit toward the end not that he you know like struggled mightily or anything but gave up a few more runs which was just like something he didn't do for like 2 months almost um so he he ends the season with a 211 ERA all of his expected numbers right like expected ERA and FIP and Sierra and whatever you like to use or if you don't like any of them that's fine too uh, but uh, all of his expected numbers are like around 35 right they're like in the 3 and a half area and so I would imagine that, again, just like lack of strikeout, lack of swing and miss, he'll probably have some bad luck on batted balls, right? Like there will probably just be a few bloopers that fall and whatnot. Like I, I think that he, he, you know, repeating like almost a two ERA season is probably like, I don't want to say out of the question because this dude just continues to prove people wrong, but it's probably like not fair. I think is the way I want to word it. Like, it's not fair for us to just be like, oh yeah, he's just going to be a two ERA reliever for the rest of his career. But even if he adds an entire run to his ERA, you're talking about a 311 ERA on a guy who is a lefty and can go multiple innings out of your pen. That is still ridiculously valuable, like absurdly valuable. And I'll leave you with this on Tyler Holton. His splits for righty-lefty against righties, 209 batting average and a 642 OPS. Really good, right? Really good. Against lefties, 147 batting average, 181 slug. Did not give up a single home run to a lefty all season. A whopping 363 OPS against lefties. Over the course of a full season, not a small sample size either over 120 plate appearances against lefties this year. That is an OPS plus of negative one. So just to contextualize that a 100 OPS plus is league average. That's like, oh, this is a league average like hitter that's going to be at the plate whenever he faces a lefty negative one means that he is 101 percent better than league average against left-handed hitters in the year 2023 and his righties he's 75 ops plus that's like he's still right like opponent he's still 25 percent better than league average but negative one ops plus <laughs> it's not supposed to go negative no one's supposed to be that good so 
Uh, phenomenal season. He's a lefty specialist at, at at a minimum, like at a floor. And at best, he's a multi-inning lefty that can put up zeros. Uh, I'm so excited that he is a part of this pen. He's a long-term piece that uh, I, I think was was found this season. And I am excited for, you know, we'll, we'll see how sustainable the, the, that low of an ERA is. But again, even if he goes out there next year and has a three, five ERA and is really good against lefties and go two innings every time out, that's still a massively successful waiver claim. And we're all still very happy and singing the praises of Tyler Holden. Okay. Let's move on to Reese Olsen. Reese Olsen ended this season with a three, nine, nine ERA, got that ERA under four, had an 8.94 K per nine, a 2.86 walk per nine, and 103 innings pitched, which is the fourth most in the entire organization. He would end the season with one and a half F war, which would put him fifth on the team in terms of fan graphs war. So a really solid year for Reese Olsen and specifically a really solid last six weeks, right? We've talked, we talked about that during the season. We're talking about it again. Now I brought it up at the beginning of the show. Like this is a a dude who was nearly unhittable to be completely honest with you in his last six weeks, his last month and change on the season. If we go month by month here, his opponent stats against OPS in June, 635, July, 763, August, 732. That's like about a league average hitter. That's like not where you want to be as a starting pitcher. September, October, 488. Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, so yeah, he was uh, he was obviously really, really good down the stretch. His ERA 144 in September, October as well. So yeah. Uh, Really good, and there's a lot of areas and directions that we can go with Reese Olsen. Uh, I want to end by talking about like the next steps that I want to see him take next year. A lot of it is really just like sustainability and and uh, and stamina stuff. Um, but this guy has legitimate swing and miss stuff, and it starts with that slider. Throws it 30% of the time, four-seam fastball 28% of the time, sinker 20% of the time, and change up 15% of the time with a big old loopy curveball that he throws about five or 6% of the time as well to keep people on their toes. So, um, I, you know, the the fascinating thing, I think, with Holton's, with Holton, with Olsen's, <laughs> Holton Olsen, uh, with Holson's pitch sequencing is that he can get strikes all over the strike zone. And yet people knowing his slider because he can get strikes all over the strike zone. And because of how nasty his slider is, he can just keep going to the well of low and away. And I think the biggest thing involving where exactly in the strike zone, he's getting his strikes from is the fact that not only did he get a boatload of swings and misses and strike calls on that outside of the strike zone, like a ball low and away, uh, 60% K rate, 70% whiff rate, uh, but also had like one of the highest actually swings, swing rate in like the entire, I don't know, chart, right? Three by three grid in the strike zone, four boxes out of the grid. 
out of all of those, his swings by zone, the most were balls low and away, which is remarkable. And everybody kept swinging and missing at it. So I think that there's a little bit of a development thing there. We're going forward. People are going to start doing what they did with Alex Lang, where Alex Lang in the month of May, right? He just didn't throw the ball in the strike zone. And everybody just kept chasing and swinging and missing at his curveball. And then everybody just stopped because they knew that it was going to be a ball. And so I think that there might be a little bit of an adjustment made by the rest of baseball in that regard. But there's one reason why I'm very confident he can overcome that adjustment. And we'll talk about that right after I tell y'all about our friends over at FanDuel. October baseball is back in a big way. Again, I cannot express how amped I got. A, just during that D-backs Dodgers game in general, but B, when Bryce Harper was around at second base, man, that, that'll that make you want to run through a brick wall. That was pretty remarkable stuff. And uh, you can make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sports book as well. Join FanDuel and you'll get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on to create your new account. Then you can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. You can bet on everything from strikeouts, home runs, who will win the game, etc. If you don't want to wait the whole game to get a W either, you can predict what will happen the next at-bat with quick bets. So head on over to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now and step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Third and final segment of Locked On Tigers. I appreciate you all for tuning in uh, as always. So let's talk about Reese Olsen. So we were talking before, he likes to go low and away, especially with that slider, obviously. He has a ton of success with it. Um, But the impressive thing to me is that he also has a boatload of success with strikes low and away to righties. I shouldn't say low and away. Because it's not low and away to lefties. He has a ton of of success glove side low, right, in the strike zone as well, just as much as he does out of the strike zone glove side low. And so he has a 46% K rate, the second highest of any location, right, in that pitch, that, that glove side low and in in the strike zone pitch. And so the fact that he can, you know, we talked about it with Zach McKinstry what was that yesterday, two days ago, whenever we talked about Zach McKinstry and we talked about, you know, that he's a lefty and that like low and in, right. He crushes it when it's in the strike zone, low and in, and it's an automatic swing and miss pretty much when it's a ball low and in. And so Olsen having the ability to hit that spot, low and away to righties and low and into lefties and get strikes on it in the strike zone while also getting people to chase on it out of the strike zone, I think is very valuable. A, uh, just in general, like fairly obviously, but also when people do make that adjustment and start taking that pitch more, he can just move it three more inches in and put it on the dot on the outside and and still get strikes with it. And he's proven that he can still get strikes with it, which I think is very important. So I really like to see that. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is, well, I, I guess maybe I can save that until we talk about like next step, but uh, finishing up what he did so well this year, um, again, we, we talk about the slider a lot. And the, the one thing that I kept saying throughout the season was his fastball, right? And I was like, oh, the fastball really scares me. Like, it wasn't that effective in AAA. 
now he's coming up to the majors and his first, I don't know, like two months in the majors, like it legitimately his fastball did get hit rather, rather hard. And he still, I mean, he gave up 14 home runs this season. Six of them were on the four seam fastball and one was on the sinker. So seven of those 14, half were just on different variations of the fastball. Um, but his, at the end of the season, his expected batting average against his four seam fastball was lost at 268. And his expecting slug against the four seam fastball was 586. Now, the actual average and slug against was 179 and 396, which are both very solid numbers. Those are really good. Um, but the expected would imply that that pitch was still getting hit really hard. And you know, if you were to repeat the season again, you might not have as much success with it. And like that's shown, you know, barrel rate, ninth percentile. He gives up a lot of hard contact, hard hit rate, 22nd percentile, bottom quarter of the league, average exit velocity, eighth percentile, bottom 10% in all of baseball. And like, again, obviously as the season went along and in those last six weeks, he was a little bit of a different pitcher and he, and he found some success and some of these numbers kind of got better, but um, that is something that I think when this season was, uh, again, I don't like saying that anybody got lucky. You're playing Major League Baseball and you're really good at your job. I, I don't think that too much of it is 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 luck that like you're getting outs. It's very hard to get outs. Um, but I, I think that it's, you know, consistent hard contact will eventually lead to some inflated runs given up numbers on the pitcher side of the ball most times. And so. When talking about the adjustments that he needs to make next year, uh, when we go back to looking at the zones in the strike zone, which he had success or didn't have success, um, low and in to righties and low and away to lefties was a a field day for hitters. Um, that that is a, a spot where he struggled. Uh, just looking at like slugging percentages, low six twenty five. Middle, middle, 442. Uh, middle in, 431. Like, that is a, I mean, just if you go straight up hits and, and barrels by zone, a lot of them are in the, obviously, middle, middle is going to be, you know, like the most hard contact. That's fairly obvious. But um, a lot of barrels low and in. And there's some, like, low and away, too. But not low and away, but up and away, rather. There's some. And and whatnot, but I'm not as worried about those because the way that he sequences pitches, right, with being a slider first pitcher, I'm much more worried about if people are crushing balls that are low in the zone. The stuff up and up in the zone will presumably come along if he can continue developing his fastball. That won't like he's not going to throw a slider intentionally, like up and away. You know what I'm saying? And so if, if he can, with the way that he sequences pitches. I'm taking a long look at what he does low and in just straight up batted balls by zone. Okay. Just whether they're outs, hits, et cetera, just balls put in play by his three by three grid in the strike zone. The three most comfortably like double more than any other box outside of those three is obviously middle, middle, then it's low middle and inside middle all in the strike zone. So, that is, those are areas that he is going to need to improve in for the, again, the, the middle ones, right? Especially middle in to righties and, and middle away to lefties. 
that's an area in which I think a good fastball, again, will help progress that along quite a lot. Um, and then the middle one, you know, he still hangs sliders every once in a while. And like that just comes with the territory of a young pitcher who throws a slider more than anything else. I think that that's just part of development. He'll get through that. Hopefully, um, if he doesn't, then, you know, like Matthew Boyd still had a long career and, and gave up a ton of homers on his slider his entire career, too. So, like, that's the that, that's the big next step in development for me is can he develop his fastball enough to where he can get more swings and misses? Like, again, the numbers weren't terrible, but his whiff rate on his fastball was like 12 percent this year. Right. And a sinker, like a sinker isn't a swing and miss pitch. So I don't look at that one as much, but that one didn't obviously have a high whiff rate either. And so I think if, if like he has a really high whiff rate on the changeup, really high, incredibly high whiff rate on the slider, right? Like 40 ish percent or something absurd. But it really continues to come back down to can he challenge people with a fastball in the strike zone and actually have the ability to get swings and misses on it? And we did see steps in the right direction of that toward the end of last season. The last thing about Reese Olsen that I think is just comes with maturing, honestly, more than anything, there's not any like, you know, sequencing or like any like super complicated concepts as to what I want to see from him in this regard. This is just like with runners in scoring position and with runners on base, be better. Uh, his OPS against when he had runners on base was over 800 in high leverage. It was over 700 with two outs and runners in scoring position. It was over 800, right? Like that's like a good hitter, like an, an OPS. So we had, we had what one of those in like the final lineup of the season had an OP that had an OPS over 800. Like it's a really good hitter. So uh, he needs to get better in that regard. Uh, but there's also just going deeper into games with ease is another thing. Um, let me find it here. His third plate appearance of the game, so third time through the lineup, as a starting pitcher, opponents had a 290 average and a 946 OPS against. First two times through the lineup, 660 and below. So again, this is why like early on in Reese Olsen's tenure, people were like, oh, like maybe reliever, right? Like he's really, he has swing and miss stuff clearly. Maybe he can add a couple of mile an hours on the fastball if we move him to the bullpen as well. He can go multiple innings. This is like a, a solid asset to have. And then at the end of the season, obviously, people are like, all right, maybe a starter. Um, and, and rightfully so. So I think when talking about the future of both of these guys, hey, Tyler Holton's pretty easy. Tyler Holton's going to be on this team next year. I, I can't wait to see what he can do next year. Um, I think that he should be one of the higher leverage relievers on the team. We'll, we'll see what happens with Lang and Foley if they make it through the winter or whatnot. Um, but I, I think that he's going to be your, your third highest leverage reliever, second highest leverage reliever, depending on what happens. Um, or you go out and sign a couple relievers as well. And maybe you move him down the pecking order, but like, regardless, he's a valuable asset and at a minimum, like at absolute worst, he's a lefty specialist and there's always going to be room in baseball for that. So very excited for Tyler Holton. And then with Reese Olsen, you know, I, I it's, it's, uh, it's a, conversation dog like I I know uh people are are really excited about him myself included I I think it would be very bold for this organization to just assume that Reese Olsen can go out there and give you like 150 or more innings next year 
like he's never done that. Uh, that, that would be like wild to just like throw him into the fire like that. And again, like we're seeing uh, the stats that I just laid out, like he's he he struggles the further into the ball game he goes traditionally. So if he makes some more adjustments and he comes out, you know, like gangbusters and it's just, you know, he's just dicing people up, then obviously let him ride. But I think you need starting to sign starting pitchers this offseason. And I think depth is a luxury and it's a necessity. It's not a luxury. That's not even at all what I meant. <laughs> depth is a necessity is what I was trying to say. And like, you know, people are going to freak out if you go into spring training with five starting pitchers and none of them are Reese Olsen. When was the last time a Tigers lineup, Tigers lineup, a Tigers rotation made it through, not even the whole season, made it through May with all five of its opening day starters healthy? It's been since like Obama was president, dude. Like it hasn't happened in like a decade. Okay. So like I, 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 it's going to happen and, and it's going to bother me. And I just like, I promise you Reese Olsen, whether he is in the opening day rotation, whether he's not in the opening day rotation, he is going to get a lot of starts next year. I, I assure you, I assure you, I assure you, I assure you. And that's really exciting. So I don't want to just like hand the keys off to him. This is where I'm at. Obviously, you know, let me know how y'all feel. Everybody has their own opinion. I don't just want to like hand him the keys and just be like, yeah, man, like you're the fourth guy in the rotation next year. Have fun. Um, because again, hasn't got very many innings, can't consistently go deep into ball games. But like, I I'm very excited, and I fully expect Reese Olsen to have like 15 plus starts again next year, just like he did this year. And next year, in those opportunities, if he gives you more innings, continues to stay healthy, and gets better going deeper into ball games. Then in 2025, I would probably be a lot more comfortable just like handing the keys off to him for a rotation spot. But then again, if, and I'll, I promise I'll end and stop rambling here, but like if we do, you know, if February rolls around and we assign two starters or one starter and Reese Olsen is like the fifth guy in the rotation on opening day, I'm not going to be upset. You just better have people in, in the barn, you know, ready to come out there uh, if uh, an in, when an injury happens or or whatever a, a spot in the rotation opens up, somebody's struggling. You need somebody to to you know fill a spot. You you just you need you need depth. That's all I'm trying to say. Not any slight or any opinion really of Olson. You just you need depth. He's not far enough in his career where you can just be like, oh yeah, he's going to give you 180 innings next year. Book it. So. That's where I stand. I'm really okay with with either as long as you have either Olsen is the plan B or you have a plan B for Olsen if he is in the rotation on opening day. Make sense? Cool. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. Appreciate y'all for tuning in as always. We'll be back on Monday recapping a couple more players. Please let me know how y'all feel about Reese Olsen and about Tyler Holton. Their futures with the team, what they did in 2023, etc., etc. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. I appreciate all y'all greatly. See you Monday, baby. Go Tigers.